Good morning and greet each of you this morning. In the name of our Lord, it's, I'm glad that we can gather together again. It's good to be back together. I was looking forward to being together. It seems like the week for me went really fast. It seems like um, a lot, lot happened, and, but I am really glad to be back home. I missed each of you, and it's just really nice to be able to be back together again. Think about um, Father's Day morning, and I don't have a Father's Day message prepared. But I will say this, that the, the longer I go, the, the more I realize the the tremendous role that a, that a father plays in the life of his, uh, the life of his children. And when that relationship is how God intended it to be, it produces beautiful things in, in those children. And when it's not, there's a lot of brokenness and a lot of hard things to have to work through, a lot of difficult things to have to try to fix and correct. When, when dad is, when a father is not being what God had intended him to be. And I don't know how much to say about that. I can leave that at that. I'm certainly thankful for my, my dad. I'm really glad that he's here today, too. So I don't know what the Lord has in store for us here today. Trust that you'll each pray. I feel kind of like it's something that I can do. Give, give you brothers a break every once in a while. So I intended to take both messages here today, not because I feel like I have so much to say, not because I feel like I have so much to offer, but just simply as a gesture of my appreciation for you. So you pray for you pray for me today. Well, uh, the words open here to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know ye that the Lord, he is God. It is he that hath made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people, and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving, and into his courts with praise. 
Be thankful unto him and bless his name. For the Lord is good, his mercy is everlasting, and his truth endureth to all generations. Sing hymn number 166. Let's pray together. Our kind Heavenly Father, we come before thee this morning. And Father, it is with thankfulness and joy that we can bow before thee here this morning. Thankful, Father, that we can be be here together. Father, that we can come and we can sing praises unto thee. We can come now, Father, and we can bow before thee. We can pray unto thee. And now as a Father in heaven, remembering our frame, remembering that we are but dust, made from the earth. Knowing, Father, that we are down here and we face many difficulties, face many struggles, face many challenges, And from heaven, Father, thou dost hear us, and thou art willing to help us. And we thank thee for this, Father. We thank thee for thy great and mighty power that thou hast made us. We have not made ourselves. We are the sheep of thy pasture. Thou hast put over us a good shepherd who knows his sheep, who cares for his sheep, who guides his sheep. And we are told, Lord, that thy sheep know thy voice. And it's our desire here, Father, this morning to hear the voice of our shepherd, the voice of the good shepherd, speaking to us here through thy Holy Spirit. We pray, Holy Spirit, that thou would speak very plainly to us here. We enjoy being together, Lord. We enjoy the time that we can spend together. We enjoy visiting together. But that's not really why we're here this morning, Father. We're here because we want to hear from Thee. We are here because we feel a a need to receive instruction for our souls. We are here because we want to learn more about who Thou art. So we pray, Father, that thou would just be here in our midst, that thou would bind any evil spirit, any unclean spirit, any darkness, anything that would not be of thee, O Lord, we pray that thou would bind and remove from this place. Even as we go through and we clean our homes, we make sure things are in order, we pray, Father, that we would have made things in order in our hearts here this morning so that nothing defiling would be brought into this place. We love thee, Father. We thank thee. We feel a great need for thee. Please do not let our weaknesses stand in the way of speaking to us here now in this morning hour and throughout this day. Bless our time together. Bless our fellowship together. Father, be with those who are hurting. Be with those who who are suffering in this day, who are looking for answers. Lord, there are so many yet who need who need saved 
We pray that the call could continually go forth and that many souls yet could be brought in. We see the day approaching. We know that the time is drawing near. The days are growing shorter. And thy return, we believe, Father, is, is much nearer each and every day. So may we be prepared for this. May we be ready. May we not be found ill-prepared. May we not be found surprised. But may we be ready. We love thee, Father, and we thank thee. And it's in thy name we do pray. Amen. Open to Romans chapter 4. Romans chapter 4. Let's begin here at verse 1. Verse 1, it says, What shall we say then that Abraham our father, as pertaining to the flesh, hath found? For if Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the scripture? Abraham believed God, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. Now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of debt. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Even as David also described the blessedness of the man unto whom God imputeth righteousness without works, saying, Blessed are they whose iniquities are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord will not impute sin. Cometh this blessedness then upon the circumcision only or upon the uncircumcision also? For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness, how was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision? Not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the steps of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had being yet uncircumcised. For the promise that he should be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if they which are of the law be heirs, faith is made void, and the promise made of none effect. Because the law worketh wrath. For where no law is, there is no transgression. Therefore it is of faith that it might be by grace. To the end, the promise might be sure to all the seed, not to that only which is of the law, but to that also which is of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made thee a father of many nations. Before him whom he believed, even God, who quickeneth the dead, and calleth those things which be not as though they were." who against hope believed in hope that he might become the father of many nations, according to that which was spoken, so shall thy seed be. And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body now dead when he was about an hundred years old, neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God. 
And being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And therefore it was imputed to him for righteousness. Now it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but for us also to whom it shall be imputed, if we believe on him that raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Well, as usual, my mind is going a lot of different directions here. But there was this thought back here in Psalm 100, Make a joyful noise unto the Lord, all ye lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. And I... It goes on and it says, uh, Enter ye into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him and bless his name. And I guess the question just comes to me, how are we doing in that? How are we doing in being a joyful, a joyful people? When the world looks at us, do, we, do they see joy? Do they see thankfulness? Do they see praise? When they come and they've been with us, do they walk away from there feeling uplifted and encouraged and strengthened? Or do they walk away feeling kind of down, discouraged, depressed? It's contagious. Joy is contagious and discouragement and um, grumpiness or, you know, those kinds of things are contagious too. If we're just, woe is me, woe is my life, woe is uh, the world, uh, it's, it's contagious. And as God's the sheep of his pasture, being under the good shepherd, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. You think about that. And we ought to be this people that radiate a joy and a contentment, a peace about us that's, that is attractive, that draws others in. I like being around that person. I like being around that man. I, he smiles, he laughs, he's joyful. There's something in that man that, that is radiating out from him, that's pouring out from him. And it's not because we, we, we have to try so hard. It's because there's this good shepherd that we've committed our, our life to, and our, our, uh, we trust him. We trust that he's guiding us. And so circumstances come and go, whatever they might be, situations happen, and, and uh, things don't always go exactly how we're planning or exactly how we're thinking they ought to go. But we are the sheep of his pasture. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. And he leadeth me in paths of righteousness. For his name's sake. And when those things don't just go exactly how we think that they ought to, and the day ends up looking quite different than what we thought it was going to, we have that opportunity to complain and, and to murmur like the children of Israel did there in Egypt and they were destroyed of the serpents. 
they were destroyed. Or we can know that there is this good shepherd and the path that we're in, even though the schedule went different than how we expected it to, even though the day turned out not what we were planning at all, there is a shepherd who leads us in, in paths of righteousness. It's a right path that, that we are in, even though it's entirely different than what we expected it to be. We can all think of people who are really joyful, who are thanking, thanking the Lord and praising the Lord. Sometimes it's a, it's a, it can be somewhat obnoxious if, if, it's, uh, if it's not always... We don't want to be that. We want to be real. Um, but when there's a genuinely joyful person, when there's someone that's genuinely filled with the Spirit of God and that joy radiates, what an attraction that is. And there's a power there. There's a true power there. I think about there in, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, Jehoshaphat was going to go out and he was, he was surrounded. And I've said it before. I'll say it again. He was surrounded by the armies. There was more people there than he could have possibly, than he could have possibly been victorious over. And it was, it was told him that he wasn't going to have to fight in that battle, if I recall correctly. I haven't read it for a while. But it says there that he put the singers in front of him, and it's a very strange thing to do that in any kind of battle. It's a very strange thing to set the singers out in front and have them go I could clearly understand why you'd put men out there with shields. I would understand why you'd put the, the, the chariots out there and you'd, you'd put the spearmen out there. But to put the singers out there, if I recall correctly, I'm sorry, I'm going to just go there and look because I don't want to say it wrong. Verse 21. It says, and when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord, and that should praise the beauty of holiness as they went out before the army, and to say, praise the Lord, for his mercy endureth forever. The strangest battle tactic you'll ever read about. I don't know that you'll ever read about another battle in history where they put out men, they sent the choir first, so to speak. It's the strangest thing. The choir comes afterwards. You, you, we can read about it there when they went through the Red Sea and Pharaoh was destroyed. The singing came afterwards. The choir came after the fact, after the victory had been won. But here, the strangest thing in, in, in tactical history and in, in, in warfare history, they decide to send the choir out first. And when they began to sing and to praise... The Lord sent ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which were come against Judah, and they were smitten. The power of praise, the power of joy, the power of thanksgiving, the power of being a joyful people, not with the long, heavy, sad faces, but a joyful countenance, a joyful because the Spirit of God lives us and, and, it's, and it's the fruit. It's, it's a fruit of the Spirit of God in us. Love, joy. And there was great victory there. When Judah came toward the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked into the multitude and behold, they were dead bodies fallen to the earth and none escaped. 
When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they were three days in gathering of the spoil. It was so much. There's power in praise. There's power in joy. There's power in thanksgiving. Okay, so we're going to switch gears here a little bit now. And my, my thoughts are still along that line, but now I'm going to switch gears a little bit, and I might, I might lose you here as I try to make this, this connection as we switch here to chapter 4 of Romans. We could look at this and wonder, well, what's the connection here? Is there a connection here? And I don't want to overstep this or stretch this too far, making these two scriptures fit together. But, but there's, a, there's a line of thought here as I read this, and, and maybe we'll just use joy as one example. We could, we could pick uh, holiness. We could pick uh, any, any kind of number of things. But let's just pick joy, and let's consider joy here in the context of Romans chapter 4. And I could go through here by verse by verse, but we don't have enough time in 15 minutes to go through each verse here. But I'm going to try to take this chapter 4, I'm going to try to condense it down, I'm going to try to just maybe get one message out of this chapter 4, even though there'd be, there would be numerous messages that we could get out of this chapter 4, and we could spend hours and hours and hours upon chapter 4. But I'm just going to try to condense it down to one particular point that we've thought about many times before, but we'll think about it again. And that is, is this, this righteousness that cometh by faith. <clears throat> and Paul lays out here something very clear. And he just poses this question. He says, cometh this blessedness, this, 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 uh, this righteousness, this imputing of righteousness without works. He poses this question. Does this righteousness, does it come? How was it reckoned to Abraham? How was it given to Abraham? Was this righteousness given to Abraham before or after he was circumcised? Was God happy with Abraham before he was circumcised or after he was circumcised? Did he impute this righteousness and say, Abraham is righteous before circumcision or after circumcision? Paul answers the question, not in circumcision, but in uncircumcision. And we get this mixed up a lot of times. There's a lot of people that get this mixed up. Normally, there are men who are trying to be Christian people. And they're trying to please God. And they're trying to make God happy. And they're trying to 
earn his favor, and they're trying to earn their salvation. And sometimes these people would be the very quickest people to call out legalism. They'd, they'd, be, they'd be very sensitive to legalism or what they perceive to be legalism. If, if we talk about uh, if we talk about being obedient to the Lord and, and practically demonstrating that through uh, practically demonstrating that in whatever way, whether it's turning the other cheek, we're hit on the one cheek, we're turning the other. And we, we say turn the other cheek. We say um, that we ought to, we ought to uh, dress modestly. We ought to be separated from the world. We ought to, our women ought to cover their heads. We, these kinds of things. And, and, and immediately the slur comes is legalism. Legalism. And obedience is not legalism. We know that. But there is this mindset, and it can be among us. There is this mindset that can be among us where we know what God requires of us. And so now I'm going to use joy. I'm going to use joy here now as as the illustrating point. We know that God's people ought to be joyful. We know that they ought to be thankful. And and so, if you have someone, if you are someone, or if you have someone that has not had a circumcised heart, I'll tell you how that looks. I'll tell you what it looks like for someone who's, tr- who's working really, really hard to have joy in their life. Because, see, that's kind of what we're talking about here, this idea of working really, really hard so that we can be found pleasing unto God. We work really, really hard to, to, to make God happy. And so we know that there is, there is that a Christian ought to be joyful but we don't feel joy in our heart. And so, but we know we're supposed to have joy in our heart. And so we try really, really hard. And so, when we go out and we're working around about, we get out of the car, we were driving down the road, and we're grumpy, we're grouchy. We're frustrated. This day isn't going how I thought it was going to go. I, I, you name it, there's, there's not joy in that heart. There's agitation. There's frustration. There's, there is, uh, there's friction in there. There's roughness in there. There's not smoothness in the heart. There's grouchiness. There's, 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 this isn't. And we, we park the car. And here's, here's someone standing here, and we open the door, we smile, we plaster on that smile, and, and it, we are glad to see you. And we are smiling, 
and we are, we are joyful now because we know that we are to be joyful. And so now I am joyful here. I'm not joyful in my heart, but I am smiling and I am happy and I am so glad to see you. Life is wonderful. How, how are you doing? I am doing great. I am doing good. I am fantastic. I am th- so thrilled to see you. What a wonderful day. But yet in my heart, I am not joyful at all. In my heart, there's no joy there. But I'm trying hard. And there are, there are men who try to be a Christian like that. And they are trying to receive the righteousness of God, the power of God, by working really, really hard to do it. And that's not what we're talking about here. And so they exhaust themselves. They can't do it. They can't keep up with it. Eventually, the effort, the effort it runs dry. There's only a limit on how so far that can go. And finally, that, that grouchiness, that frustration, that agitation, aggravation, eventually surfaces because it's there. There hasn't been a circumcision of the heart. There has not been a true believing upon God a true acknowledgement that I can't be joyful. I don't have any joy in me. I wake up with aches. I wake up with pains. I wake up, life doesn't go right. Never had a day yet that's planned how it went how I planned it. How, how could I possibly be joyful when everything has always went different than what I was expecting it to go? And it's not until we come before God, like in, in, in as Abraham did, He came before God, and he believed in God, and that faith is an actual thing that actually happens, that we actually come before him, and it looks something like this. We come before him, and we say, God, I know what's required of me. I know what what your word says. I know I'm supposed to be joyful. I know that, that, that I'm supposed to be feeling something different in me than what I actually am, and I can't do it. But I believe on you. I believe on you that you can actually do this in me. And it's not something that just kind of uh, mystically happens and, and, and now we think we have a joy. God actually puts a joy there. And we don't have to try really, really hard to be a joyful people. That's just being fake. That's just being a hypocrite. That, it becomes disgusting. I don't like people who come around me and pretend to be something that they're not. And neither do you. We don't like people like that. Those people turn us away. Those people are a stench. And then you try to connect Christianity to it, and you, and you call this Christian when you can see through it and you see, that's not Christian. I don't want that. If that's what joy is, they can have it. What I want is a joy that fills my heart that's not of me. What I want, and now, now you can apply that to anything. You can apply that to a righteousness, I know that I'm supposed to be separated from the world. I know I'm not supposed to listen to that devilish music. I know I'm not supposed to do it. But I really want to do it. You remember what it was like? You remember what it was like. I'm going to use music. I don't want to listen to devilish music. I'm not, don't take me like that. But I'm saying, 
you remember what it was like to be newly converted. Don't you? Don't you remember what it was like to be newly converted and you still maybe had a little bit of a hankering for something? Whatever that was for you. You had an itch for it. You had a desire for it. There was something there that if you could do it, you would do it. And if no one found out about it, you'd take, you'd take that chance, that opportunity, because you wanted to do it. And there are people who are living still today, professing to be Christians, professing to be followers of the Lord. And it's been years and years and years and years and years. And they don't, they don't listen to that music anymore. But if they walk into Lowe's, if they walk into the store, and that song happens to be playing, they kind of like it. And there's something wrong there with that. There's something wrong there with that. The righteousness that we're talking about here, that, that, that Abraham received, was a righteousness that removed that. It took it away. If you're having still to try really, really hard not to turn on the radio to listen to those songs that you listened to back when you were playing in the mud still, there's something wrong. True faith in God that justifies, true faith in God that imputes righteousness is a faith that comes and believes in God that actually works something so that that desire for that music, it's not even there anymore. I don't have to try really, really hard not to go turn on the knob and punch the, and put in the CD. I don't have to try really, really hard not to get on this and, and, and look on this, this thing on the internet. And, and, and I know there, there are some bad pictures here and I got to try really, really hard not to get on there so I don't look at that. And I, and I just, I can't hardly help it. I have such a hankering for that. I have such an itch for that. If, if I could do it, I would do it. If it, didn't, if it didn't end in hell, I would do it. If I wasn't fearful of the judgment of God, I would be doing it every single day. But because I fear hell, because I don't want to go to hell, I don't do it. And that's not a converted heart. The converted heart doesn't do it because it doesn't want to do it. God has come into that heart and changed that heart to the place where it's disgusting to us. If I got to go to heaven for looking at that, I wouldn't do it because it's disgusting to me. That kind of a heart, that kind of a change. It's not a group of people, as I've said it before, who have to take sticky notes and put it all over the house to remind them to be joyful today. It's not a type of people that has to take sticky notes and put it there on the mirror saying, don't get on the, don't get on the computer tonight at 9 o'clock. Don't get on your phone today at 8. It's not a type of people that has to take sticky notes and put it on their, their, their driving, the steering wheel, so that they remember when they get out the door and they walk in the place of business, now they need to smile. Remember to smile when you get out of the door. That's not the type of people we are. And if we're having to put sticky notes everywhere, if we're having to constantly say, boy, I'd do it if I could, but I don't want to go to hell, we have to re-examine and reevaluate ourselves and say, oh, God, what is wrong with my heart? What is wrong with my heart? 
There's something in my heart yet that I am not believing. I am not surrendered. I am not yielded. I am not given entirely. I can't drum up joy. I can't drum up righteousness. I can't be anything other than just disgusting. And that's where I was at. But when we actually believe in God, God comes and he actually takes a disgusting heart that wants to listen to that bad music. It wants to be grouchy. It wants to hate. It wants to fight. It wants to look at bad things. And he takes that disgusting, broken heart and he doesn't just cover it up and make it some kind of, he comes and he actually takes that heart out, rips it out, throws it away, buries it. And he puts a new heart, a heart that loves righteousness, a heart that loves listening to good music, a heart that is filled with joy, a heart that would hate seeing anything evil, a heart that loves to see good things, a heart that is full of peace, a heart that loves to be under the good shepherd. It's not fighting and kicking and resisting, but it's yielded. And we're not, it's not because we're trying and trying and trying and trying and trying so hard. Those people that are trying and trying and trying and trying so hard, guess what they're doing? They're failing every single day. They're failing every single day because they're still in their own strength. They're still in their own power. And they've not entered into the faith of our father, Abraham, who believed God, who yielded himself, He gave up, so to speak. He resigned. And God came and made that man righteous. Can we just do that? Or do we we still want some ownership in it? Do we still want, but I still kind of want to do it myself. Or can we just say, I can't do it by myself. I see what's required of me. I see the level of patience that's required of me. I see the level of humility that's required of me. I see the level of holiness that's required of me. And God, I cannot do it. I want to do it. I can't do it. And I'm going to stop right here. I'm going to, I'm going to quit. I'm going to lay it down. And the only way I'm going to reach that level of holiness, the only way I'm going to reach that level of humility, the only way I'm going to reach that level of kindness, the only way I'm going to reach that level of patience and joy is if you come and do that work in me. And so here I am. And I quit. I lay it down. And I believe you're going to do it. I believe that's the purpose, the reason why you sent your son was to do just that. And that's glorious, isn't it? Isn't that glorious? There's so much more here in this chapter. Go on and on. That's what touched my heart as I read that this morning. Maybe one of you brothers has something.